Thank you, Mandy. Thank you for that warm introduction. How's everybody doing today? Good to have you here with us. A uh, special welcome to any of our guests uh, who are visiting with us for the very first time. Like Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison. I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard. Special welcome also to anybody who might be listening through our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. Really excited for next week, week's Baptism Sunday. It's a fantastic opportunity to go deeper. And just a reminder to you, for, for those of you who tend to sort of want to find you know, uh, um, specific instances throughout the year to invite your non-Christian friends. Usually during Baptism Sunday, we talk about the importance of baptism, which is a message that is deeply based in the gospel. And so if you have a friend and you want them to hear the gospel explicitly explained, right, and you want to have an immediate opportunity for them to respond to the gospel, not only through salvation, but through giving, you know, through the process of baptism, this is the Sunday to bring your friends. And so it's going to be a really awesome opportunity. We always have candidates going into Baptism Sunday, but we always provide an opportunity for people who want to respond to the message, who want to respond to the call to give their life to Jesus to also be baptized on that Sunday. And so that's coming up next week. The following week, we have a special guest speaker, my friend Steve Nich Nicholson. And some of you who've been around the venue, you know that uh, Steve Nicholson is a national treasure uh, in the vi vineyard. And he will be here um, concluding our uh, sermon series that we're currently in. So you don't want to miss that. Whenever we invite uh, people to come and speak here. We spend resources. It's a special event. And so we ask that each and every one of you make it a point to not just be here on that Sunday, but to get here on time so that we can have a good time. So Steve will be here in a couple of weeks. Well, if there's uh, one thing that you can count on in life, there's very few things that you can count on in life, but if there's one thing that you can count on in life, that, it, that is this, that somebody will eventually do you wrong. Somebody will eventually do you wrong. And unless you're, you know, this foreign person who's grown up in a cave all by yourself and you just sort of crawled out of the cave this morning, unaware of how life and relationships work, unless you're that person, and I suspect that there's nobody here that just crawled out of a cave this morning, you know that in this life, rubbing up against one another, eventually somebody is going to do you wrong. We squared this away as a fact of life. If you listen to any genre of music, especially country music, I was listening to old Rascal Flatts CD the other day, and every song seemed to be centered around the reality that somebody had done this guy wrong. You listen to hip-hop, you listen to R&B, all manners of music, unless you're listening to like kids' pop, you know, some type of nursery rhyme or something like that. Music and all sorts of media center around this fact of life that eventually somebody will do you wrong. The wise count on it. The wise budget for it. And one of the ways that we can budget for this reality of life that somebody will eventually do you wrong, and that is determine a system by which you handle, a system by which you respond to being wronged. To say it a different way, I, I don't think it's a good idea to try to figure out once you've been wronged, how you're going to deal with it. 
to try to drum up a system once somebody has stepped on your proverbial toes to try to figure out in that moment when you're angry, when you're upset, like how are you going to deal with it? That's not a real good time to figure out a system, but the wise know that it's good to figure out a system for this reality of life, a way to deal with people doing you wrong. And I would submit to you today that God has given us a system. It's his system. It's simply called forgiveness. It's simply called forgiveness, Christian forgiveness. And I'll be the first to admit that Christian forgiveness is out there. The first to admit that those unacquainted with the reality of faith, those unacquainted with how God works, they look at Christian forgiveness and they look at pronounced examples of Christian forgiveness when somebody is murdered and the family stands in court weeping, sobbing, and still proclaiming that they forgive somebody. You just watch the comments on these clips and social media calling it everything from ridiculous to stupid. The world around us has no grid for like Christian forgiveness. And it's one of those things that an outsider, somebody who's casually observing the Christian life, might ask, is this like, is this legit? Are these people for real? Is this like a show? Is this a put-on? And so I feel like this whole subject of forgiveness, not just forgiveness, but Christian forgiveness, fits squarely in our series that we've been in for the last four weeks or so, a series that we've simply been calling, Is This For Real? And throughout this series, we've been just stating that we live in a world more now than ever that is really hard to understand what's true. In a world of spin and misdirection, fake news and alternative facts, it's really difficult to really grasp what is real and what is true. And this is especially true when you enter the realm of faith. And so what we've been doing is we've been taking some of those subjects that are particularly difficult to believe for believers, especially unbelievers, and we've been anchoring these truths in the reality of Scripture. And one of the main goals of this series is to help us gain a measure of freedom. I said last week that when you know the rules to the game, you know where the foul lines are, you know the inner working of something, you can live and and relate to that thing in a more free way. And so the goal of this series is to help us understand these things that are difficult to understand, things that we wrestle with and wonder, is this really for real? Today, we deal with the subject of forgiveness, not just forgiveness, but Christian forgiveness, because I believe that when you put Christian on something, you got an upgrade. It's altogether different. It's a little more challenging, but it's the genuine article, and I'm simply calling this message this morning, the beauty of Christian forgiveness. Can't deal with Christian forgiveness without dealing with this whole idea of mercy. Mercy, simply put, is an undeserved second chance. My friend Ben Hare, who pastors the Vineyard Church in Peoria, uh, 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 says often that mercy is the oil of the kingdom of God. And much like the oil that many of you use in your vehicles, if you were to be out of oil, or if you fail to put oil in your engine, you will, you will soon discover that your car won't run without it. Things will grind too hard. It starts smoking. Things won't function, right? And in the same way, if you were to extract mercy from this Christian life, if you were to extract mercy from God's dealings with us, 
if you would extract mercy from our dealings with other people, the Christian life as we know it would not exist. And so as such, excuse me, mercy is the oil of the kingdom of God. And without mercy, there is no forgiveness. And without forgiveness, there is no salvation. And so it behooves us to look into this matter. And as we look into this matter, we find that the Christian version of forgiveness is not just a good thing, it's a beautiful thing. It's a necessary thing, but many of us, if not most of us, need to develop a rhythm, a system by which we deal with the wrongs of life. Many of us don't have that. My hope is that you will be better equipped to walk that out as you leave today. We'll deal with the passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 18. Would you turn there with me in your Bibles? If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there are Bibles on the edges of your seats. Feel free to use those today. If you don't have a Bible at home that you own or that you can understand, feel free to take that Bible home as a gift from us to you. Feel free also to follow along with your tablets or your phones. We'll also be projecting the words on the screens this morning. If you'll forgive us this morning, we're having a little bit of trouble with our air conditioner I'm already a sweaty preacher. I might be a sweatier preacher than normal, so I ask your forgiveness in advance. Matthew chapter 18, while you find that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of salvation. Thank you so much for the work of the cross. And Father, I realize that some of us can just sort of take this for granted and not think deeply about forgiveness, particularly the forgiveness that you've extended to us. And so this morning, we want to look at it. We want to be reminded of it so that we can get an understanding of how we're supposed to work this out in our lives with others, how we're supposed to process and deal with being wronged. And so, Father, I know that in a room this size that people have come in with all manners of hurts, all manners of brokenness. Much of that hurt and brokenness have happened at the hands of somebody, uh, some other human, possibly somebody really close to them. Father, and I know that you want to bring freedom in this place today. You want to move us from a place of bitterness and unforgiveness to a place of forgiveness, Lord, and freedom. And so would you do that today? And so, Lord, we just give you permission as we talk here to just sort of churn up some things. Might be painful to remember some things. Might be painful to deal with some things that you've tried to suppress. But, Lord, the goal this morning is freedom, wholeness, healing, nothing broken, nothing missing. Lord, put power in these words that you've given me to speak. Uh, move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 18, we'll start at verse 21. It says this, the pe Then Peter came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. 
his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man and he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Real warm, fuzzy passage this morning, right? Wrong. This, like many of the passages we explore here on Sunday morning, is like indicting. It it holds up an unflattering mirror uh, to us because many of us really struggle in this area. This is an important text, but it's a hard text because it's hard to look this text square on. But in this text, Peter opens this little passage with a question. He opens this passage with a question, a question for Jesus. And to understand Peter's not only become an apostle so after Jesus' death, the leader of the Christian church, but Peter was one of Christ's disciples. One of his jobs was to learn from Jesus, so they often asked questions. And sometimes as we read the questions that the disciples ask, we just kind of scratch our heads and go, that was kind of a dumb question. That was kind of silly. But when Peter asks this question, I don't particularly have that response, right? You ever been around somebody who asked a question that you wanted to know the answer to and you, your ears sort of perked out and you sort of lean in for the answer? This is one of those questions. And Peter opens this with a question. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive somebody who sins against me? And all of us, we should stop what we're doing and we should say, that's a good question. And we should lean in, be a little nosy this morning, and listen to what Jesus has to say. Now, Peter follows his question with like a suggestion, like seven times? Is that good enough? (laughs) How often do I forgive? That's helpful for us to understand that the rabbis in that area often taught that three times was good enough. Somebody wronged you three times, a generous amount of times to forgive that person, probably for the same offense, was three times. And so Peter, in suggesting seven times, thought, you know what? Let me double it. You know, let me rise high. Let me come a little higher. Let me double, and I'll add one. Seven is a good, that's a good number, right, Jesus? And I would suggest that seven is more than generous unless you're dealing with a screw-up. Let me put it a different way. Seven is more than generous unless you're dealing with a human. Let me zoom in a little further. Seven is more than generous unless you're dealing with me or you. It's more than generous. And so in response to this, what I think is a really good question, Jesus introduces new math. New math for our boy Peter. And Jesus says, no, not seven times but 70 times 7, which is nearly 500 times, 490 to be exact. 
But it's important for you to understand that Jesus is not saying, hey, after 490, write the person off. Jesus is essentially saying, you're supposed to forgive people way more times than you thought. Way more times than you're comfortable with. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, don't keep track. Just do it. And that's a lot to ask. Knowing that this is difficult to understand, he gives Peter and anybody an inch earshot. And since we're reading this and interacting with it, Jesus gives us a story, a parable, which is kind of a made-up story that Jesus tells in order to help draw out or illustrate some deeper truth. Jesus doesn't stop with just a prescription to forgive a bunch of times. He gives us something to help us with this. And so he tells this story, and in the story are three main characters. A king, and in this story the king represents God, a generous God. And there are other, two other characters, two servants, and those servants simply represent us and the people who have wronged us. So three characters, God, who stands in for the king, and the two servants, and that serv- those servants represent us and the people who have wronged us. This is the great passage, and this morning I want to highlight three powerful truths that we extract from this passage as we jog through it that's supposed to help us understand the beauty uh, and the reality of Christian forgiveness. And after we jog through these three things, I want to give us some super practical ways to gain some freedom from things that we might have brought in here with us, particularly as it relates to the debts, the debts that others owe us or the ways that people have wronged us. Three things, then some very practical ways to walk this out. My hope today is that you're challenged, that you're convicted, but more importantly, that you're changed by this word this morning. And so the first thing we discover as Jesus tells the story is that forgiveness starts with the demonstration of God's love. And this is a common motif. Whenever we're talking about something that God asks of us, it's, it's, it's almost always the case that we begin by talking about how God first has done that thing for us. We serve a God who has a high bar for us. But much, if not all, of what God has asked us to do He has first demonstrated that to us. And so this passage opens, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. And so this king simply decided to check the books, to check the books. And so that's super important, especially since we're relating this to God. The king in the story represents God. It's helpful for us to understand. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we can ignore the fact that there is a book, that there is a record. And just because you've been slick and just because you've been sly and just because you can fool humans, you will have to, friends, give an account for how you've lived. Yeah, we serve a benevolent God, but his eye is in every place, the Scripture tells us. There's a record of everything you've done. It's keeping watchful eye. And he keeps pretty good records. I love the expression. He decided to bring his accounts up to date. He decided to check the books. He decided to look into the matter. And as he was looking into the matter, he discovered one of his servants owed him a whole bunch of money. 
a whole bunch of money. Verse 24 says, in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. And so this passage, in talking about the debt that we owe, frames this guy's debt in the millions of dollars. Millions. Which basically puts it pretty much out of reach for a servant to pay this back. I love about parables. It's like parables, you can make them up, right? You can, you can use any word you want, any figure you want to, de- to describe the enormity of the situation. Jesus does just that, millions of dollars. Now, how did this guy get millions of dollars into debt? We don't know. Frankly, it doesn't matter. He just owes the money. Just like when you look at your debt statement, you're like, why did I get $20,000? It really doesn't matter at this point. You owe it. You owe it. This isn't a business partner of the king. This is a servant of the king, and he owed a lot of money. Now, in Bible times, there were serious consequences when you owed people money. Now you can just file for bankruptcy. You can say, you know, I'm sorry. You could, you know, consolidate all your debt and put it on one card and just pay a dollar a month, you know. But here it's different. Person you owed had the legal right to have the borrower seized. Had the right to have you thrown into a debtor's prison to make you a slave, to make you a servant. Had a right to snatch up your family and put them to work until you paid off the debt. Now, this would involve usually a complete liquidation of assets. Their net worth would go well below zero. This was a huge, huge deal. This guy was in deep. And so the king processes the punishment. Listen, I'm going to take your wife, I'm going to take your kids, I'm going to lock you up until you pay this debt. Now, understand this. If he's a servant, all of his assets have been seized, his whole family working off this debt, do you think he could ever, ever, ever work himself out from under this debt? Absolutely not. And this is the point, right? He's in super, super deep. But then we see the most important part of this description of the king's relation to this first servant is the pardon, the pardon. There's the debt, because God checks the books. There's the punishment. I'm snatching up your wife and kids. I'm snatching you up. You're going to be a slave. You're going to be a servant to work this thing off, and you'll never see the end of this debt. But then there's the pardon. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity, and he released him. He released him and forgave his debt. He released him and he paid his debt. He showed what? Mercy. And I said earlier, mercy is the oil of the kingdom of God. Without it, there is no salvation. Without it, there is no kingdom of God. It it grinds to a screeching halt. And so this is a perfect picture of the gospel. And I told you, we preach good news at this church. It might cut you sometimes. You might feel a pinch of this word, but we preach good news here. And this is a perfect picture of the gospel, the good news. And the gospel is, we are a mess. We're up to our hairlines in debt. We can never pay it back. The punishment for such a debt was death. Well, we threw ourselves on the mercy of a benevolent, generous king, and he pardoned us. 
through the work of the cross, through the shed blood and broken body of his son, he pardoned us. This is the message of the gospel. And somebody's here, you never heard the gospel. Or somebody's here, the circumstances of life or some bad preaching has caused you to forget the good news that your sins can be forgiven. And for those of you who've accepted the message but forgot it, your sins were forgiven. And that's really good. That's awesome. But now we're kind of on the hook. We're on the hook to, 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 to pay that forward to others. Since we've been forgiven much, we have to forgive much. Since we've been pardoned, uh, we have to pardon. And, and since we serve and live under the rule of a benevolent, generous king, we have to be benevolent and generous people to the scoundrels in our life. This is the gospel. And if we don't start here by looking at the demonstration of God's love for us, we will never get forgiveness right. We'll never get it right. We'll never get it right. Because when we look at what God has done for us, we see that God is really good at something that we're really bad at. And what God is really good at is he exercises great restraint and he doesn't define us by our worst moments. What if God were to define you by your worst moment? He wouldn't have to reach back very far. He could probably find something this week or last night, you know. I'm going to move past that. But this is something we really struggle with because the people who are on your list, people you've written off, people who have, you know, who, who you have ought against or bitterness against, they, you, you haven't defined them by the good times. You haven't defined them by that time when they came and gave you a jump. You haven't defined them by the time they gave you money or brought you groceries or picked up the tab. You defined them by that moment that there was, it was their ugliest moment. That, that, that time they shot you off an email or a text without thinking about it and those words landed on you. The time they didn't show up. Or the time they lied about you or, or, or did something. That's what, that's what we define people by their worst moments. That's who they are to us. But God is unencumbered by that particular strand of brokenness. He has, he has the, uh, the, the, the ability to see us in spite of our mess, to see us as what he had in mind when he created us. And so we're not defined by our failures. We're not defined by our rebellion. We're not defined by our ugliness. And so God can be benevolent. He can restore. He can move past wrongs. He can pardon. And he's calling us to do the same. And so if we don't start at God's generous demonstration of love through forgiveness and pardon for us, we'll never get forgiveness right. And as we track through this story, we see that the second thing is that we're forced. Jesus forces us to consider our natural responses to being wronged. Now, Jesus could just go right to the application. He could just say, see, I've forgiven you, and so forgive somebody else. Instead, he chooses to add another little chapter to this story through which he puts a mirror up in front of us. 
And I told you, this is one of those texts that, that you got to wrestle with a little bit because it's unflattering. And the goal of good preaching is to call you higher, not to make you feel good. Jesus doesn't launch right into some prescription about forgiveness. Rather, he, he shows us us. He shows us through this unmerciful servant how in the, in the face, in the face of being forgiven, how we respond to other people who have wronged us. So this guy's been forgiven millions of dollars. Verse 28 tells, tells what happens next. When the man left the king, having just been forgiven millions of dollars of debt, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, grabbed him by the throat... That sounds like some of you. And demanded instant payment. Instant payment. The guy falls, falls down, says, man, be patient with me. I will pay it back. Sounds like the same thing he said to the king. But his creditor wouldn't wait, the scripture says. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now, this guy, on the heels of being forgiven millions of dollars, you th you'd think you'd find him skipping down the street, pointing out random people. Hey, Jeb, you owe me a cup of sugar. Just keep it. Hey, Susie, you know, that liter of oil that, that you borrowed from me, just keep it. I'm up millions of dollars. Skipping through the street, kissing babies, picking flowers, that's what happens when somebody just wipes away millions of dollars of debt. That's what should happen. When we wrestle with and we, we deal with the reality of what we've been forgiven, it should cause us to just release everybody. But Jesus takes the time to show us what we do instead. Brother didn't even go have lunch. He didn't even stop and get some gum from the convenience store. He went directly to a person who owed him a few thousand dollars. Snatched the brother by the throat and demanded instant payment. Now you say a few thousand dollars is a lot of money, even. Now it is. Yeah, sure it is, but by, by comparison. When we're talking about millions of dollars, it's chump change by comparison. He, he, did, he did the opposite of what he should have done. And you might say, what should he have done? He should forgive as he had been forgiven. Simple. He should forgive as he'd been forgiven. And I see people all the time who withhold forgiveness consideration, and the benefit of doubt to others, we instinctively define others by their worst moments. We instinctively do it. And it's a major hindrance to real forgiveness. We're bad at it. Why? Because we don't practice it. We're bad at it because we don't practice it. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, back in January, I, I joined a CrossFit gym over in Chicago Heights. Shameless plug for CrossFit, right? And so the, uh, last week, uh, actually two weeks ago, I was in the gym and we were doing this, uh, this exercise called step-ups. And you got this bar over your head with weight on it. 
and you have to step up onto this 20-inch box. And so I'm probably one of the stiffest guys in the gym. And so I'm doing this workout wrong. I'm stepping up, and the coach is there. He's like, no, you got to keep your knees straight. And finally, after telling me this three or four times, he goes and gets some chalk and, like, draws marks on the box. He said, no, put your feet here and only here. Spent a lot of time working with me on this. I got a little bit better, but he says, listen, you got you to gotta get better at this. You got to keep your knees out when you step up on this box. And so some time passed, and after the workout, I was walking around the gym, and I noticed that the coach was watching me walk, and he said, there's your problem. I said, what's my problem? He said, there's your problem. Look how you're walking. He said, well, you're walking, you walk, your feet are like this. And he said something like this. You have to realize that every step is a rep. Every step is a rep, and rep is short for repetition. And so he says, how do you think that you're going to come in here and do the exercise well when thousands of times a day you take a misstep? Thousands of times a week you are practicing walking wrong, and you think that when you come in here, you're going to execute well. It just blew my mind. And as a preacher, I'm always looking for illustrations. I'm like, that'll preach. (laughs) That'll preach. And what if we understood in every conceivable realm of life that every step is a rep. You're confused as to why you can't deal with high stakes issues and make good decisions when it really counts, when the stakes are high. But you wouldn't be as confused if you considered how you dealt with the smaller matters in life. You don't resist little temptations. And so when major ones come before you, why are you confused that you, that you don't pass the test. You don't practice generosity in the small matters of life. What makes you think when there's a a huge high-stakes opportunity that's going to really be costly, that's really going to put you out, how could you possibly be confused by your failure to rise to the occasion because every step is a wrap? The same is true within the realm of forgiveness. I found it easy I found it helpful to practice on the small offenses that come throughout the course of our days, our weeks, our months, and our years. I found it true that if I don't get good at forgiving quickly the small, insignificant, low-stakes things, that I will never, ever, ever master forgiving people when they really hurt me, when they really wrong me. Somebody cut you off in traffic. You take a a snap, a picture of their license plate just because you want to remember it. Somebody's the slightest wrong, the slightest thing, oftentimes misunderstanding. You just bank it away, and that person is dead to you. And all they did was take the last donut out of the break room, you know? (laughs) And you think that when some major thing happens, you're going to just muster? Every step is a wrap. And so some of you came in with major things that you need forgiveness from and freedom. And I believe the Holy Spirit is here to break some things today. We're going to contend for it. in an effort to be more systematic. In an effort to be more systematic about how we deal 
with wrongs on a regular basis because the wise budget for it. We expect it. It's a reality of life. How might your life be different if you just developed an instinct of forgiveness? An instinct that caused you, particularly with people you know, not to define them by their worst moments. I think something happened a couple weeks ago. I got a message from somebody, and it just, I mean, it just landed. I mean, it just came out of nowhere. It just landed on me. I was like, whoa. And as I was trying to figure out how to respond, I thought to myself, this, this guy is a good dude. This is a good friend of mine. This is a faithful brother. And it just must be something I'm not seeing. There must be something, misunderstanding, something like that. And do you know that tailored how I responded to that brother? Now, we dealt with the issue. We dealt with the offense. But he and I are cool today because I just, I chose not to. And, and a younger, more immature version of myself will, would not have handled the situation like this. Man, I'm from the South Side. Talk to me, buddy. Google me, dude. I'm somebody. But somebody who stands up to preach and tries to bake the gospel into every sermon, no matter what I'm talking about, I've rehearsed over and over the reality of the debt that I've been forgiven. I'm well aware of my strengths, but I'm more aware of my weaknesses and the fact that God would use me despite the places where I fall short, that he wouldn't define me by my, you know, my worst moments. I go, you know what? Let me give this person the benefit of the doubt. Let me, let, me, let me still hold them in high esteem. Let me remember that they're a friend and that they've been good to me. And, and so with that, I was able to deal with the offense and deal with that person in light of who they really are rather than... Does this make sense what I'm saying? And so what I'm suggesting is that you develop a system by which you move out of the patterns of how we normally deal with wrongs and offenses. And this is, this is really important for church people because we've learned. We've learned how to be fake. I mean, that's what you learn in church. You learn how to do that smile. <laughs> and as soon as the person is out, like, I can't stand her. I mean, I watched it. I've been to church my whole life. I've seen it. Hey, girl, hey. Hey, how you doing? And we know how to stop talking about a person long enough until, they, until they're just gone and you back at it. So we know how to be fake and so we can bury this. And there's a counterfeit version of this. It's just nice, like Christian nice. It's like, hey. But that's not forgiveness. That's not, that's not burying the fence. That, uh, that's not forgiving the debt. Because that's going to blow up on you, right? That's going to that's blow up on you. Forgiveness and pardon was expected. God expects it. And so even the servants watching this go down, they go, man, this ain't right. Let's go tell the king what's happening. And word gets back to the king, and this brings us to our third uh, discovery about this particular passage. And that is that we're encouraged to count the cost of unforgiveness. And let's just say off the top of this point that the cost of unforgiveness is, is, is more costly than, um, you know, the debt you owe just in general. 
the cost of unforgiveness is, is greater than the original debt that we owed to God. In other words, God says, if you have been forgiven by me of a debt that you cannot pay, and you choose to withhold forgiveness for somebody else, for, for a smaller, more insignificant debt, woe unto you. Woe unto you. The king called the man back in that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. We never thought unforgiveness was such a strong offense. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? What, what does he do? He points back to his mercy. Then the angry king, he's angry, sent the man to prison to be tortured. That wasn't a part of the original deal. Until he paid his entire debt, which would be never. And so it's not hard, and maybe it is hard for some of you to see the eternal significance of this punishment. Eternal damnation, eternal punishment and torture. Sounds like hell to me. And so what is Jesus saying? If you cannot forgive others, if you will not forgive others, your sins will not be forgiven. You cannot and will not forgive others it negates the forgiveness that you've been given. All of a sudden, this is a different ballgame. All of a sudden, it takes forgiveness out of the realm of, hey, you should maybe work on that to do this or else. King says, you evil servant, evil, profoundly immoral, wicked, depraved. We never knew unforgiveness was so serious. You don't want God calling you evil, trust me. He hates evil. He despises it. And notice the king didn't say, listen, you had no right to do that. He had every right. He didn't say, you bought, you, you, you bought this guy up on false charges. He bought no false charges. The guy was, he owed him. He didn't say, you've unjustly manipulated the law for your advantage, shame on you. That's just not true. He had every right to do it, just like the king had every right to seize his assets, to snatch up his family and put him into a life of eternal servitude. The king had every right. Your rights are not the point. The reality of the Christian faith, life in the kingdom of God, is that God is always, always asking you, not asking you, insisting that you lay down your rights. Insisting that you lay down your right to have revenge. And if you can't see re revenge enacted, you still have the right to hold a person in the prison of your heart. Or to write them off. You have every right. Jesus says in John 13, I'm giving you a new commandment since you can't really seem to understand the original one. He says, and this new commandment is that you should love each other, wait for it, in the way that I've loved you. Sacrificially. Jesus says, this is a really imbalanced deal. You're getting the better end of this deal. Like, I, I love you sacrificially. I, I, I loved you when you were unlovable. I've forgiven a massive debt. 
and, and the way you love people in a way that's pleasing to me, God says, is that you love each other in the same way, in the same way that I love you. And the king says to this guy in a very dismissive fashion, and he says to us, if you don't forgive, you simply won't be forgiven. And some of you just need to sit in the quiet of your souls with that reality. And some of you, as you, as you wrestle with that, hopefully the response is that you go down into the dungeon of the prison in the basement of your heart where you're holding all of your debtors captive. And you begin to jingle the keys as you purpose in your heart to let each and one of those people out. And some of you would take you a long time because there's a lot of people down there. I mean, your, your mom's down there. Your father's down there. Your siblings are down there. Your boss, your co-workers are down there. That person who abused you when you were five, that person's down there. I'm talking, these are, these are, these are, real, these are real people. And get this, some of them are not even on this side of the dirt. Practically speaking, it's you in those cages. I mean, we just want to flip this and look at it from a different angle. Practically speaking, it's you in those cages. How many people that, that you've held prisoner and are gone about their life, they don't even remember what they did. They don't even care. And half the people down there, it was a mistake. It was a misunderstanding. Your perception has polluted the, the, the whole, you know, record of the thing, and it, it didn't even really happen how you remembered it, but yet they're in a cage or you're in a cage. There's a cage. Somebody's in a cage. Get out of the cage. Because the cost of unforgiveness is way too high. Is it worth your soul? Is it worth your eternal future? Is it, is it worth it to hand back the pardon that we've received for our sins in exchange for the bitterness and hurt of holding people hostage, some of which that don't even deserve to be in the cages of unforgiveness? Is it worth it, eternal self? Is it worth it? Is that like a fair trade? Don't answer. I already know. It's not. And so how do we walk this out? Understanding, of course, that the goal is comprehensive forgiveness from your heart. I'm not talking about, okay, be nice to that person. I'm not saying go refriend them on Facebook or unblock them or whatever you've done, you know, in a fit of anger. Be nicer and smile now and, and speak now and don't avoid them. Well, what does it mean, like, to comprehensively go to the deepest dungeon of your heart, throw open the gates, and let them out? The goal is comprehensive forgiveness. And so I think there's three things that we need to do. I gave you these a year ago. I found this sort of system to be really helpful for me, and it's been helpful for others. So I want to give you three things, three ways to walk this out. Um, Jesus started in his story by saying that the king, uh, he began by checking the books. He began by checking the books. And so my, my challenge to you as a first step for, for many of you is that you, you, should go, you should go and check the books. Look into the matter. 
check the ledger, and we all keep one. Who you got down in, in the dungeon? Who's locked up down there? Check the books. Who owes you something? Look into the matter. Because even if you don't remember it, even though you hadn't thought about it, even though you haven't talked about it in 10 years, guess what? Just like an app that you have running on your phone, it, it, it's, it's taxing, you know, the CPU in some significant way. Whether or not it's the thing that you have before you or not, it's like it's, it's working in the back web. You ever get your phone back from your kid and you're like, why is this thing so slow? Then you double tap the thing. If you're blessed to have an iPhone, you double tap the thing and you see all these apps open. He's like, no wonder. And you spend 15 minutes, you know, closing all of them. And all of a sudden, the thing's fast again. And so I think it's important for us to check the books because you've got things and, and, and situations and open accounts that have been uh, undealt with that, that, that I, I know it's painful. I know it's going to be challenging. I know it might churn up some things, but I feel like in an effort to get to the bottom of this thing that the Lord is challenging some of you, and you've already begun this, to check the books, to see who, who's down there. And for the sake of time, I move on to the second thing, as I found this to be very helpful, is to, to, to process the punishment. You know, when I look at what the king did, he checked the books, he saw the debt, and he assigned a punishment. Okay, I'm going to snatch your family up. You're going to be in lifelong servitude until you pay the debt back. And so I just, you know, I've been fortunate not to have a lot of, you know, major wrongs, things that happen to me. But, but there's a couple, and sometimes I go, you know what, man, I want that person to really feel what they put my family through. I mean, if I'm just honest about it, like, I, I want them to feel what they put me through. And I don't think that's bad to take that step and process that. You're kind of thinking it anyway. But I find that there's just some therapy in just saying, you know what? I want something to happen to that person's child in the same way that, 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 that it happened to mine. I want them to feel that. And some of you might say, I hope they burn in hell forever. I hope they die. I hope they die a slow, painful death. Or whatever you, you know. I hope they sit on the phone with Comcast on hold for, you know, three hours. That's, that's a good enough punishment. Whatever. But I've just found it helpful, right? Because there's something to release that person off. And some of you don't need that step. But I found that helpful. And some people, you know, okay, what do you think should happen as a result of what they've done to you? And so that there's something tangible that you can release that person from. So you check the books, you assign a punishment, you get real about what you want to happen as a result. And here's the third and final step. And let me just say before I give you the third and final step, that if you could do this on your own without the Spirit's power, you would have, been, you would have done it by now. The prison in the dudgeon of your heart would be empty if you could do this on your own power. So please don't mistake what I'm saying as self-help. Please don't mistake what I'm saying as something that's just bootstrap this thing, just deal with it. You don't have it in you. I don't have it in me, especially with this high-stakes stuff. And so the only way we can accomplish this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so before you engage this third step, you say, come Holy Spirit. Do the heavy lifting here. Do this thing that I can't possibly do on my own. The third step is to activate, activate forgiveness. Activate forgiveness. And so I forgive this. I release you. I release you. And that doesn't mean that the hurt and even the memory of it will just disappear. But with the Spirit's help, it's, 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 it's possible, as well within your power, to release somebody of a hurt and offense. And it's not uncommon for you to have to do it again. And do it again. Because that hurt and that bitterness, especially if you have something that on a daily basis reminds you of that thing, sometimes it likes to creep back up on you. Sometimes it might sneak up under the door and slip back through the thing. And sometimes you might have to activate forgiveness. Activate forgiveness. But this is the third thing. You've got to activate forgiveness. And let it go. And let it go. Worship team, you can come up. Please, people, don't hear me making light of your situation. Some of you, I know, I know what you've been through. And some of you have gone through unspeakable hurt and abuse. And when you consider what it's cost you, and how it's changed the trajectory of your life, especially those of you who might have been abused as children or have suffered some major, major offense at the hands of somebody who you loved and trust, and it just changed that you've never been the same since. It's cost you opportunities, it's cost you relationships, it's cost you money, and, and there are daily reminders of what this person did to you that you have to reckon with. And so I, I'm not trivializing this in the slightest sense. I'm just ha- trying to help you understand that there is great beauty in forgiveness and the cost of unforgiveness are far more than you can afford to pay. Far more than you could afford to pay. And so you can be cute if you want to today. And you can be reserved. You can be concerned about what others are thinking about you today. But if, if you are here today and you're dealing with unforgiveness, If you are here today and you desperately need the Spirit's power to break the chains of unforgiveness in your life, to move you to a place of wholeness and freedom, if you are here today and that's you, listen, I I just know that the Lord wants to do something. And so we're going to spend some time in worship, and after a time of worship, we're going to spend a time, as we often do on Sunday mornings, in ministry prayer. And during that time of ministry prayer, I'm I'm going to make a call, a specific call for those who would need to be free from unforgiveness who need the Spirit's power to, to break the burden and the yoke of unforgiveness. And listen, it's totally up to you whether or not you'll jump into the water, but the waters of healing have been stirred today, and I believe that God wants to release freedom for you to check the books and to activate forgiveness. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word and truth. What a timely word for us. And some of us, you know, we're kind of good. We're, we're good right now. We've dealt with stuff, but there are people in here, Lord, that like, this came down their aisle this morning. And this has churned up some memories and some things, Lord, that are really hurtful. And so, Lord, I pray that as we worship you, you would just minister. The oil and the power of your kingdom would break in and just begin to make all things new in their heart. That you would deal with hurts, you would deal with pain, you would deal with bitterness, you would deal with unforgiveness. 
And so, Father, as we worship you, would you also just remind us of how good you are and how good you've been to us. May that be our starting point. God, we give you permission to go after whatever you want to go after today, to break whatever you want to break today. Father, we have hands and arms wide open, open to lay everything down, but also open to receive whatever you want to give us today. We're committed to wholeness and healing. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.